0: Amen. All right, check this out, Bobby. One day there's a sailor,
1: right? You ready for this one? And he meets up with this pirate. How many guys can do a pirate thing? Arg. Arg. Okay, that's about as good as I can get. Ask Reed. But anyway, so the sailor, he meets up with this pirate, right? And so naturally they take turns sharing stories of their adventures on the sea, right, Tom? And so the sailor, though, he noticed that the pirate, he's got this uh, peg leg, right? And he's got this hook, right? And he's got this eye patch going on. And so he asked him, he says, to the pirate, he says, so hey, how'd you end up with that peg leg there? And the pirate goes, ah, matey. How do you like that? You like that? Yeah, whatever. Okay. He says, uh, We was caught in a monster storm off the Cape, and a, a, a giant wave swept me overboard. And, and just as they were pulling me out, a school of sharks appeared, and one of them bit me leg off. And so the sailor goes, Whoa, wow, blimey. He says, That's horrible. What about, what about the hook there? And the pirate goes, ah. Oh. He says, We were aboard in a trader ship, and pistols were blasting, and swords were swinging this way and that. And in the fracas, me hand got chopped off. And the sailor goes, whoa, sounds, right? He says, whoa. And how about the eye patch? And the pirate goes, ah, a seagull dropping fell into me eye. Well, the sailor goes, what? You lost your eye to a seagull dropping? And the pirate says, hi, matey. He said it was me first day with the hook. (laughs) That hurts just thinking about it, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. Okay. But how many guys would say that pirate caused himself some serious self-inflicted pain there, John? You know what i'm saying the hook in the eye gives it away okay and folks believe it or not if we too as christians are going to avoid causing ourselves some serious self-inflicted pain not in the eye but in the heart in our walk with jesus we better get back to studying the bible amen okay and the reason why is because we've been seeing in our study this lack of studying the bible is producing churches full of christians who are acting like practical atheists oh we say we believe in god of course you got to say that bare bones as a christian but half the time with our lips and our lives we act like god is not even around okay and uh, it not only keeps us from going in our walk with God, people are watching us, so guess what? Shoves them away, it keeps them from believing in God. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're gonna continue our study on the character of God defeating practical atheism. How do you do that? Well, you get back to knowing who God is now we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God hello he's real this is not some pipe dream or opiate for the masses it's real the second thing we saw is God is personal ie intimate Jesus died not for a stale man-made boring religion he died for an intimate beautiful loving relationship with him the creator of the universe the third thing we saw that god is wise he knows it all go to him for wisdom don't listen to this world god will never steer you wrong and then last time we saw the fourth thing we need to know about god is he is sovereign okay now that could be uh, construed as a christianese word so let me define for that again for you god's sovereignty means this all things how many things all things are under god's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission and might I add nothing catches him off guard okay and we saw that this uh understanding his sovereignty it starts to begin to answer some skeptical questions that people usually direct towards us about god okay and the first one we saw last week was well okay if god's so sovereign and wonderful then why do we have all this evil and suffering remember that that's what we dealt with the last week and then they'll say well, well not much of a god he is because he hasn't done nothing about it and he's responsible for it no he's not Evil and suffering came from Satan. God made paradise. Satan messed it up when evil was found in him, not God, and then transferred that to mankind and the planet through Adam and Eve, okay? And then it's not like God's up there with his hands tied doing nothing about this. Are you kidding me? We saw he's done some incredible things about evil and suffering. He has judged it through Jesus Christ. He puts a limit on it. Hey, amen, he's made a way out of this mess. Hello, okay, and one day he's gonna put an end to it. And as we saw, that's the whole point. You better get saved before it's too late. You're either going to die and stand before God, or the rapture is going to happen, and you're in a heap of trouble. Either way, there's a way out of it. Praise God through Jesus Christ. Now, the second skeptical question that gets answered, I believe, when you start to understand the sovereignty of God is this next one. All right, well, does a Christian have to suffer, right? Does a Christian have to suffer, okay? Now, last week, if you are here, we answered the skeptical question of the non-Christian Again, their origins of evil and their claims why God is the author of it and he hasn't done anything about it. That's not true. Okay? Again, we, we've already dealt with that. But today I want to deal with what I believe is breaking the heart of the Christian, if you will, putting me, ye hook in the eye, okay, to the Christian, okay, and that's from all those hucksters out there, and I'm trying to be kind because I don't know what else you're going to call it. Hucksters, false teachers, heretics, okay? And they say that once you become a Christian, hey, here's the great news. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Everything's gonna be great. You'll never experience hardships. It's perfect, blah. You guys smell that? That's somebody's pants on fire because you're a liar, liar. Pants on fire, excuse me. Uh, And folks, I'm telling you, this is unfortunately all over the place. And what kills me is this is what's on so-called Christian TV, who has, how come this somebody hasn't plugged this unplugged it a long time ago But let's take a look at some of these false teachers and we're gonna call them out Okay, and let's take a look at what there is one of them big one is jesse duplantis. Okay on tv And this is what he says quote the very first thing on jesus agenda was to get rid of poverty Excuse me. What do we see last week? To destroy the works of the devil praise god to forgive us of all of our sins and to destroy the works of the devil Excuse me Okay, absolutely crazy. Frederick Price, he said this, the apostles were businessmen. Listen to this. They were rich men and had plenty of money. I'm going to show you. Aha, uh-huh, don't, don't be skeptical. He says, I'm going to show you that Jesus had was a wealthy man and had plenty of money. Jesus and the disciples were rich because only rich people could take off for three and a half years. That's your rationale? You've got to be kidding me. Okay. John Avanzini, he said this. Jesus was handling big money because that treasure he had was a thief, i.e. Judas. Now, you can't tell me that a ministry with a treasure that's a, a, a thief can operate just on a few pennies. Uh-uh. It took big money to operate that ministry because Judas was stealing out of that bag. And if you got a treasure, that means you got a lot of money. Okay. Let's move on. You got Creflo Dollar. Oh, I'm sorry, but I got to call it. That's an interesting last name especially with this false teaching. Come on, give me a break. He says this, I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't poor, and he didn't wear no rags either, like we march in on these Easter little plays that we do at our church with those raggedy sheets on. Jesus didn't have no rags on. He wore designer clothes, honey. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? It gets even worse. John Avanzini, he backs it up. He says, oh yeah, Jesus, he wore designer clothes. I mean, what else are you going to call it? I mean, you didn't get that stuff he wore off the rack. No, this was custom stuff. I'm just waiting for him saying you didn't shop at Walmart either. Give me a break. I say, are you kidding me? You got to be. Here it is again. I'm... Now, I'm not making this up. Here's another one from Mr. Dollar. He said this. Hey, now, but without face stuff, you have no stuff. Because face stuff is the stuff of all that stuff. You take away the stuff, the face stuff, you ain't got no stuff. But if you get the face stuff and you get some more of the stuff, because now you got the main stuff. Now, did you get all that stuff? <laughs> Somebody's got some stuff between the... Ears, Excuse me now as we saw on wednesday nights on our uh, world religions cults and the occult We just finished up the section on hinduism. That's what these hucksters are preaching. It's hinduism Okay, it's hinduism through and through get those studies if you want more Okay, robert tilton. He says this the only time people were poor in the bible is when they were under a curse And being poor is a sin Excuse me. What's the scripture say? jesus Became poor for our sakes I got a serious problem with that Uh, statement there frederick price once again he says this now the whole point i'm trying to get you out of to see is to get you out of this malaise of thinking that jesus and the disciples were poor and then relating that to you Uh uh-uh he says the bible says that he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps that's the reason why i drive a rolls royce i'm following jesus footsteps (laughs) wow what bible are you reading okay but it's not just perfect health they also say perfect health okay it's not just perfect well perfect health benny Hinn, he says that sickness doesn't belong to you it has no part in the body of christ sickness does not belong to any of us the bible declares that if the word of god is in our life there will be health there will be healing there will be divine health and divine healing there will be no sickness for the saint of god excuse me you never once used cold medicine you never once went to the hospital you smelling that again yeah pants on fire liar liar Okay, you got to be kidding me. He says, no, that means, I'm telling you, not even a headache, a sinus problem, not even a toothache, nothing, no sickness should come your way. How many of you guys realize that since the church was born, Acts chapter 2, nearly 2,000 years ago, a few of the church have died? That would be all of them, except for us who are still alive today. How many of you guys can verify that typically when somebody dies, it's because they had an illness? This <laughs> What do you mean no sickness should come your way? It's crazy, folks. Kenneth Hagin, he says this, it is the plan of our Father God in his great love and his great mercy that no believer should ever be sick. Now, you guys seem pretty studious this morning. John, can you agree that that man there, he used to be younger before his face starts sliding off? You know, this happens when you get older, right? <laughs> Excuse me, so it, you're going to get sick, bud. it's happening, right? If, if that's true, why are you getting wrinkles? Why is your, you got to be kidding me. Kenneth Copeland, okay, listen to this. He says, you begin to meditate. Remember, it's Hinduism is what they're preaching in the church. You begin to meditate on those scriptures until you build an inner image of yourself healed. As that image grew more crisp and clear, you begin to expect or hope for that image to become a reality. That's Hinduism. Also, in New Age, is called creative visualization. You are God. You can manipulate your reality the way you want it. That's all it is, folks, in the church. Okay, he says you'll be expecting the very presence of God to rise up in you so powerfully That instead of believing for healing every six weeks, you'll walk in divine health every day He's gotten older too. I don't know if you've seen some pictures Excuse me. Marilyn Hickey. I'm not making this up. This is almost as good as the dollar one Okay, I guess this is the lady's version unfortunately. She said this. Hey, say to your body your whole body why you just function so beautifully and so well. Why, body, you never have any problems. You're, you're a strong and healthy body. Speak to your legs. Speak to your foot. Speak to your neck. Speak to your back. Be- speak to a Christian counselor. I'm sorry. What are you talking <laughs> about? But but that's Hinduism. You've got to repeat the mantra, speak to it, and you can create with the force what you want, and it's crazy. She said, and once you've spoken and believe that you have received, don't go back on it, Uh uh-uh. Speak to your wife, speak to your husband, speak to your circumstance, and speak faith into them, and create in them, and God will create what you're speaking. Excuse me, you don't tell God what to do. He is sovereign. He is God, not you, okay? And one more time, Frederick Price, he says, how can you glorify God in your body? Listen to this, blasphemy. He says, when it doesn't function right. How can you glorify God? How can he get glory when your body doesn't even work? What makes you think that the Holy Ghost wants to live inside of a body where he can't see through the windows and he can't hear through the ears? Okay, what makes you think the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of a physical body where the limbs and the organs and the cells don't function right? Yeah, worse than that. Do some bombs and all kinds of stuff. Excuse me? Now, what did, what did that guy just think about this? It's not just false teaching, but this is in the church. And what did that guy just do to every person, including Christians, who ever got a disease, who've ever been confined to a wheelchair, who ever had their body parts that didn't work right? Guess what he did? Erg! He put the hook in their eye. Self-inflicted. Are you kidding me? And it gets even worse, folks, okay? These hucksters not only perpetuate this false teaching, okay, that once you become a Christian, you're guaranteed perfect hell, perfect well. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But what's bad enough is they got the ultimate escape plan. Because guess what? It doesn't work because it's not true. But when it doesn't work, you have the audacity to say, hey, it's not them. Uh, uh-uh, It's you. And then they put another hook in the eye, and they say the reason why is because you got some secret sin you need to confess. Or you just don't have enough faith. Or you didn't sow a seed into our ministry. And so here's the problem. Now you're feeling guilty as a Christian. You're feeling horrible. You feel, man, these guys tell me I'm a brand new Christian. I I got saved and I'm supposed to have this perfect health and perfect wealth and and I don't have it and it's not happening and it just keeps poking you in the eye. And now listen, not just the non-Christian we saw last week, now the Christian starts to wonder about God's sovereignty because of these false teachers. Why, God? These guys tell me I shouldn't suffer. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through these hard times? God, if you love me, why am I going through this? You ever felt that? Okay. And so let's respond. Let's, let's look at the scripture. Do you and I as Christians really have to suffer this side of heaven? Okay, in essence, does a Christian have to suffer? Well, folks, I don't know how you can get around this Old Testament, New Testament, but the answer is yes. In fact, let's encourage one another this morning. Turn to somebody with a big old smile and say, you're gonna suffer. <laughs> let's do it, yeah, let's get it out. It feels great, right? And that does not apply if you're a husband and wife when you were fighting on the way to services. I'm not talking about that. That's a different issue. That's a marital issue. All
0: right?
1: (laughs) And apparently that was true with somebody in this congregation. But anyway, no, no. No, listen. Do we have to? Yes, it is. Don't take my word for it. Again, folks, I don't know how you get around it. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. To me, I mean, there's so many texts. We're going to look at a bunch of them. But how do you get around this, man? How in the world could you sit there and say that Christians, you're guaranteed a perfect life this side of heaven first uh, thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 right if you find 2 second thessalonians bill what do you do hang it left. that's right and uh if you find third thessalonians what do you do ken new bible. new bible that's right there is no such thing all right Stalled enough time first thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1 through 5 page 1142 in my bible if that helps and uh let's take a look at what god says do we have to suffer as a christian who's right here Here's what Paul says. So now, when we could, he's talking to the, obviously, the Thessalonica believers there. And he says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best that we be left ourselves in Athens. But we sent to you Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Why? So that no one would be unsettled by what? These trials. How do you get around this? You know quite well, he says, that we're what? We were destined for them, and, okay? In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you uh, that we would be persecuted. Turn to somebody and say, hello, McFly, okay? That's what Paul's saying here, basically. Are you kidding me? I, we're talking this again, okay? And he says, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, I, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid, listen, that in some way, the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless, Okay? So here we see, folks, according to the text, we Christians, were not only going to suffer. What was the word that Paul said there? You are destined to suffer. Why? Because heaven comes later. As we saw last week, this is the messed up version of the planet. It's not fixed yet. Not condoning it, but this is the world that we currently live in, so it's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted, as Paul says, as you well know. I can't believe we're talking about this again. I can't believe you guys would dare listen to those folks in essence. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. Bad things are going to happen. Not condoning it. But it's just part and parcel of living on this messed up world full of evil and suffering like we saw last week. Okay, But notice also what Paul said there. He said he was actually afraid. Why did he send Timothy? He he sent Timothy because he was concerned that the evil one, the devil, the tempter, was going to twist things around like those hucksters do and somehow get these brand new Christians in Thessalonica to think that somehow something strange is happening when they're going through trials. The enemy wants to twist that. And so Paul said Timothy to encourage them to not listen to that baloney instead of deal with reality. Yes, Christian, you're going to suffer. Okay? This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. In fact, folks, that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the the iceberg. When you follow God, God's people, Old Testament, New Testament, you're going to have a hard time. Especially when you live for him because this world doesn't like it. Okay, let's take a look at a few other encouraging verses. Psalms 34, 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but what's the good news? The Lord delivers him from them all. And not just troubles, many troubles. Isaiah 48, 10, speaking to Israel. God speaking, see, I've refined you through, uh, though as not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God will use our trials to make us more like Jesus Christ, to make us better and stronger. We'll get into that in great detail, Lord willing. Uh, in a few weeks, okay? But that's in the Old Testament. New Testament, what Jesus speaking, what did he say? Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven why for in the same way that persecute the prophets who are before you why are you shocked jesus saying if that's what they did to god's prophet who preached his truth when you as a new testament christian preach god's truth and people hate you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of rotten stuff against you why are you surprised You've got the whole Old Testament to see the example. That's what our evil world does with God's truth. Okay, Matthew 24, 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. What? persecutions and sufferings what kind of things that happened to me in Antioch Iconium Lystra and the persecutions I endured yet the Lord rescued me from all of them in fact listen to this everyone how many is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted I think it's an old quote from Adrian Rogers if you remember him right He said basically if you as a Christian if you never experience any resistance from the evil one it could be because you and he are going the same direction But when you follow Jesus Christ, you're going against the current of the culture. And you're going to face resistance and persecution. Acts 14, 21, 22. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. Why? Because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. uh, They said there, Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to what? also suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here uh, that I still have okay philippians 3:10 i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and we usually stop there uh uh-uh, uh keep reading all right i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and let's all right let's close in prayer no, keep reading. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. First Peter 5, 9, resist him, i.e. the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. It's happening all over the planet. Folks, it shouldn't surprise you. And listen to this, 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of who? Jesus Christ, why are you surprised? Why are you listening to those hucksters? How could you even fall for that blowing for a second and act like, oh, something's wrong? No, you were destined for this. When you live for Jesus in this evil, wicked world, it's going to happen, okay? And again, that's just still the tip of the iceberg. I don't have time for it, but hopefully that gives you a good smattering Old Testament, New Testament. The constant theme is this. Yes, Christian, we're going to have to suffer. It's all over the Bible. In fact, to me, I think one of the most obvious examples is guess who? Jesus. Right, he's not just the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's coming back. Amen for that. Praise God. But he's also the suffering servant. What? Suffering servant. You know the one we're supposed to be following as Christians—the suffering servant. And yet, it isn't ironic in the American church. We say that we are—you know—I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. That's what that word means: Christian, follower of Christ. But we don't want to follow the same path you took. The suffering servant. We want to take a different path. I think sometimes we want to listen to those hucksters. We don't want to suffer. Listen, we want a cross that has padding on it. But there is no padding on the cross. One guy puts it this way. He said, Christ did not say, if anyone would come after me, let him enjoy himself. And let him be gorgeously dressed. And let him be drunk with delight. No, Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. His path winds up a side of a steep mountain where death will be present on every hand. We must imitate Jesus, live as he lived, think as he thought, and be conformed to his image. Listen, Jesus Christ was born in a stable. He was obliged to fly into Egypt. 30 years of his life were spent in a workshop. He suffered hunger and thirst and weariness. He was poor. He was despised and and miserable. He taught the doctrines of heaven and nobody would listen to him. The great and the wise, they persecuted him. They took him and subjected him to frightful torments. They treated him like a slave. They put him to death between two thieves, having preferred to give liberty to a murderer rather than let him escape. And such was the life which our Lord chose while we are horrified. By any kind of humiliation we can't even bear the slightest appearance of contempt let us he says compare our lives with that of jesus christ reflecting listen he is the master and we are the servants and let us begin to walk in the path which he has marked out for us because it's the only one that could lead us to him but you might be saying, well listen pastor Bill, that's that's jesus right you're right he was he's the suffering servant right Okay, he came. To, he came here to suffer and to die for our sins. Okay, but I mean, not his followers, right? Surely he spared us from that. Well, let's take a look at the first followers, the apostles. Right? Let's take a look at those guys. And I mean, they were right where they were. With Jesus, they're next in line, so to speak. Right? So they were following him. So did they have to suffer? Well, once again, let's see what church history records. What happened to every one of the uh, major apostles there? James, the brother of John, he was beheaded. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Uh, Simon, the brother of Jude, was crucified in Egypt. Simon the Zealot, he was crucified as well. Mark was burned and buried after being dragged through the streets. Bartholomew was beaten, skinned alive, crucified, then beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was killed by a spear. Philip was stoned, then crucified. Uh, James was thrown off the temple and he survived somehow, and then they clubbed him to death. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Uh, Luke was hanged upon an olive tree, Uh, Jude was shot to death by arrows, Matthias was first stoned, then beheaded, Uh, Barnabas was stoned to death, and John, the apostle John, was put into a cauldron of boiling oil, but he survived, and he's the only apostle, church history records, that died a so-called natural death, but not without great suffering. So looks to me like, well, not only Jesus, but the first followers of Jesus, the apostles, they they had to suffer. There's no padding on that cross. But you might think, well, listen, okay, okay, that's the apostle, guys, right? I mean, I mean that, that was the early church, right? And we, we know from church history, right, before Constantine came along. And, and there's lots of persecution and martyrdom. They, they experienced rough treatment. That was the beginning, but not today. Really, let, let me give you just one, one modern-day example of a Christian brother, our Christian brother. His name is Alex. And you tell me if Alex had to suffer for Jesus today. True story. Salvation in Christ is often birthed in tragedy, and so it was for a brother Alex. He received Christ after armed revolutionary forces in Colombia seized his family farm and assassinated his father 12 years ago. Alex's faith has been tested repeatedly since his father's murder, uh, but the greatest challenge came four years ago uh, as he traveled to work by bus with 26 other banana farm workers. And so one morning as the banana workers traveled to the plantation, some of the revolutionary forces stopped the bus. And when the four guerrillas armed with AK-47 rifles forced their way onto the bus, Alex felt a check in his spirit. He said, quote, when I saw them, the Holy Spirit witnessed to my heart that they were going to kill us and I began to shake. He said, I knew death was near. However, Alex then suddenly felt an overwhelming sense of peace and joy. In fact, he began to sing songs of praise while the gorillas were hurting the laborers off the bus and lining them up there on the side of the road. And then he was thanking and praising God. And he was actually singing to God with all his heart there, true story, great is your faithfulness, O God, there is none like you. And Alex's response to death, he said, came natural to him. Listen to this. He says, isn't this the normal reaction to any Christian who deeply loves Jesus? It is the time of death, the time to enter his presence. So I was worshiping and praising him. And we whine because our french fries are cold. Puts it in perspective. So the gorillas tied the hands of each of the laborers with ropes that were used for tying the bundles of the bananas there. And they separated the workers in three rows and forced them to kneel on the dew-covered grass there. But the armed men became agitated as Alex continued to sing praise songs to God. So one of them struck Alex with the end of his rifle to shut him up. Then a co-worker cried out, don't kill me, don't kill me, I- I'm totally innocent. And Alex said he became so impatient with that guy that he asked him, why are you seeking life from these men if the only owner of our lives is from God? Bravery. Then an eerie silence descended on the captives, and suddenly a blaze of gunfire erupted, shattering the silence. The, the gunmen u- emptied their automatic weapons on the hostages, and Alex expected a multitude of bullets to pierce his body, but to his surprise, only one grazed his arm. He experienced no pain, there was warm blood and brain tissue belonging to the two women kneeling beside him, splattered his face and soaked his shirt. The gorillas moved to the front of the line and sprayed gunfire now now where Alex was kneeling. A bullet struck Alex between his nose and his eye, blew out the right side of his face. His eye exploded, but Alex did not lose consciousness. Listen, as he lay on the ground, immersed in a pool of blood, the gorillas, now armed with machetes, began to start chopping people's heads off listen to this. Alex recalled at that moment when they approached me, listen to this. He said, I suddenly realized I hadn't told them about Jesus. Though I was drowning in my own blood, I could hardly speak. I was totally blind with all the strength I could muster. I cried out to them, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And at this, an angry gunman silenced Alex, shattering his jaw with the end of his rifle, and when all was over, 25 workers perished in the attack. Alex survived and has since undergone several reconstructive surgeries on his face. That not only happened relatively recently, but I'm hoping we're starting to to get corralled to the appropriate response to the question Why? Why is God, okay, uh, we're going to suffer as Christians. I think we can agree. But why? Why is God allowing this to occur? Not just with Jesus, not just with the apostles, not just with the early church, but even today. Well, I, I, I think the answer is included in the finale of Alex's story. Quote, Alex recently graduated seminary. Although he was blinded in the attack, the young evangelist says he clearly sees the call of God on his life. To continue sharing the love of Christ with the Marxist guerrillas and other hurting Colombians, God has given him a vision to set the captives free. Why does this occur? Why does a Christian have to suffer? What is God doing? Why is he allowing all this? Why am I going through this? Because with Alex, just like with him, God's not in the backside of Pluto wondering what's going on. He's not waiting for an email from the angels to give an update. Oops, I missed that one. That's blasphemy. He is sovereign. But what God is doing is he's doing something incredible, something magnificent with our pain that only God could do. Now, I know I'm going to date myself. I'm still having nightmares from my Brady Bunch analogies that nobody gets. And my get smart analogies with the cone of silence. I had to show a video clip just to show you guys what that was. But how many of you guys remember the comic strip, Beetle Bailey? Remember that one, Beetle Bailey? Praise God, all two of you. I feel encouraged again, right? <laughs> Beetle Bailey, right? But he was that soldier, right? Remember that? I used to collect comic books growing up. And uh, that's how actually I began to learn to read. And, uh, but anyways, it was just that, with all due respect, kind of wimpy looking soldier. Don't even say it looks like me. That wimpy looking soldier, right? Just kind of weak... <laughs> You know, Bony, you know he was not very big. He's just Beetle Bailey. Okay, here's my point. Okay, I believe what God is doing with our pain is to use the analogy to the the, the contrast Beetle Bailey is He's going to turn us from a Beetle Bailey believer into a Conan the Christian. Is that manly or what? Let's close in prayer. No, let me explain, okay? And believe it or not, I had to go through this when I was in Bible College, okay? Uh, As you guys know my testimony, eight weeks after I got saved, I'm in Bible College, and I went to school at night in Bible College and and, uh, in seminary as well. So I I worked full-time, a job full-time, 40 hours a week uh, during the day. And uh, so uh, it was a secular job, right? to help pay for school and all that stuff. And, and I was having a serious hard time with my job. I'm in Bible college by now, growing in the Lord, doing internships myself and all that stuff. And, and part of it was because of the environment. And the environment, it was created by me because I was uh, working at this place before I got saved. And if you know my testimony, before I got saved, who was I? I was the former skeptic. I was the anti-Christian guy. I hated Christians. I told everybody I could meet. I don't care who came into that workplace. Christians, are a bunch of hypocrites. They're idiots. They're dumb. I, I, that was me. And then I became one. That was, and I continued on, right? So it blew, it was, there was about a two week, almost moment of silence from the workplace. Cause they're like, you got, what happened to you? Cause you're the anti-Christian guy. Now you're putting verses on your desk and whoa. But after about two weeks, here it came, man. <laughs> And every day from that day forward, man, my work, those people, they, tried, they were tormenting me. They were trying to get me to sin, get me to crack, get me to do anything wrong like I used to do. Just to say, hey, you hypocrite. Right? It was that kind of persecution every single day. And the pressure was so bad. I kid you not, I would walk in in the morning to the workplace there. And I, I, just before i opened open the door, I'd just almost taking a deep breath and go, okay, here it comes again. open the door. every day. And this has been going on for quite some time, and frankly, I got tired of it. And I was I was, man, why, why is this happening? Why, God? Come on, I'm going to Bible college. I'm serving you. Why am I going through this? I fought this. I resisted I didn't like it. And in fact, it got to the point where, that's it. I'm going to escape this. And I thought, yeah, I got a pretty decent skill set. This ain't the only job in Northern California. I'll get a new job, right? I'm putting out resumes, doing not all get Nothing would happen. I mean, nothing. I was like, are you kidding me? Come on. Self-esteem was way down here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I get a job. You get, but nothing. I mean, every single door, bang, 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 when shut. Until I submit. All right, God, you won't let me leave. He wouldn't. He would not let me leave this place. Okay, and I've been going on around this for about a year, and I'm still asking God, why? Why am I suffering now? Why won't you let me leave this place? And all of a sudden, this scene from Conan the Barbarian flashes through my mind. Now, I'm not condoning that movie, right? It was there, stored away from the pre-Jesus days. But this is the scene that went through my head where I'm going, why, why? Well, let's take a look at that. To somebody, and say that dude's ripped. <laughs> Look at him, man! See how big he got, right? And again, I'm not condoning that movie or whatever, but I believe God was, if you will, resurrecting that scene that was stored away in my brain in the pre-Jesus days to tell me what He was doing in my pain. As you saw in the beginning, there, Conan was a young boy, and his family, obviously, if you know the story, he was murdered. He was hauled off into slavery, and he was strapped like a mule to that turnstile thing, going round and round. And then he went around. And went around and he went around and he went around day after day, year after year, season after season. Listen, in a seemingly monotonous, repetitive, no rhyme or reason, painful journey, why, 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 in circles. Until one day. Don't make me do it, Chris. You're making me do it. I'm gonna do it. Oh, yeah. Right? He turned into a buff guy, right? The seemingly monotonous, repetitive, painful jury did something incredible to him. Turned him into a massive buff dude, right, honey? <laughs> Bobby, let's make a turnstile of that fountain out of there into a little workout program. But seriously, if that's what flashed through my mind. Listen to show me what I believe God was trying to get through my heart. This is what He was doing in my workplace. Why, God, every day I open the doors and here it comes again. Here comes the persecution every single day again. Why, God, why do they keep doing this? Why? What do I do? God, why, why? Bang! Over time, I didn't get it right then, but God every day was building my spiritual muscles. Where do you think I developed a love for apologetics? Because every day, oh man, here comes another skeptical question. What about UFOs? What about dinosaurs? Why do they keep attacking me like this? Cut my teeth on witnessing. You Christians, are a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, why? 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 I see you. Didn't you see those guys? Huh? How do you respond? Day after day, I'm going around that thing, getting stronger. Okay, and folks, can I tell you something? It's not just me. It's all of us. Every one of us have a turnstile. God, why? Why? Why is not my family? I keep, we keep going around in circles. It won't stop. God, find us. Come on. How many times have we got to go through this? It just won't stop. Come relations. relation. The kids are. Not the kids are, man. Come on, God. How many times are we going to go through this? God, why? Why? And you think you're going around a seemingly monotonous thing and it makes no sense. Why? But from God's perspective, He says, Oh, yeah, watch this. And I'm not the one that said that. He did. Listen to this. I love this passage, right? Get that turnstile going through your brain, Christian. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Yahoo! Going on turnstile. Yahoo! It's happening again. Let's do it again another week. Yeah. Why? Because it produces your spiritual muscles. Suffering per- produces what? Perseverance. Turn to somebody and go, look at those biceps, right? And then not only that, woohoo, the perseverance produces character. Look at those glutes, wherever those are, right? And then not only that, woo, you carry Phil's hope. Yeah, Woo. Apparently I'm getting into it too much, <laughs> right? God is using our pain to transform us from a Beetle Bailey believer into a Conan the Christian. Why? Because he loves us. And he's strengthened us and given us what we need when we need it because when the trials come, we need our spiritual muscles built up. And he's given us that in preparation with all the things that we go through in life. It's only the Conan the Christian that can say with the apostles in the early church, And these guys were being burned alive. Their heads were being hacked off. Many times they were singing praises just like Alex to God. They were being uh, dumped with tar on them, lit as human torches by Nero. And they're singing praises to Jesus. They're witnessing to people all around them, the very people who are taking them to the amphitheater to be eaten alive. Only a Conan the Christian can do that. Only a Conan the Christian can have their eye blown out, their face blown off like Alex and still say, Jesus loved you. Only a Conan the Christian uh, can say, like the Apostle Paul, listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9, I love this. He says, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but we're never frustrated. We're puzzled, but we're never in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never deserted. Listen, we may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. Why? Because God is using every single day the things that we go through over and over again, if you will trust him to give us the strength we need for living in this place, that is not heaven, heaven comes later. Isn't he awesome? Man, he's awesome. Now, God isn't condoning evil and rotten things that people do. Oh, they'll, they'll answer to God for that. You leave that in his hands. But God is so powerful, that I call him the ultimate recycler. He takes all of our pain, all of our trials, all of our tears, and he recycles it into something fantastic, awesome. The very thing that we are praying for. In fact, I want to close with looking at, I believe, a Conan the Christian in the making. His name is Zach. Let's take a look at his trial.
0: Hi, my name is Zach Smith, and I am 33 years old. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good, and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Immediately, I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told the cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy, and I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards I had a scan done and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen. And surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me. And medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer why it went away, and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter, Lizzie, down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy, and I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer, and I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory.
1: Our brother in Christ, that is a Conan the Christian. And that's what God wants all of us to be in our pain. Not to whine, but to shine. For him. How in the world do you do that? How how do you look cancer and death in the face and say truly from the heart, God is still God? And God is still good. It doesn't matter either way to God be the glory. How in the world do you do that today? Because God is preparing us to be those people in our pain right now. Not if, but when it comes. He takes all of our pain, all of our difficulty, he turns it all around to good, and he gives us what we need. The supernatural spiritual muscles when we need it the most. That's why we have to suffer. God is not dried up on the throne. He is sovereign, but he's also good. And even in our pain, he's the only one that could take what other people and this wicked world system might mean for bad, and he'll flip it around for fantastic good. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get-A-Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you One final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell